Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. Today we'll be in chapter 3, 1 through 10, and again we'll be thinking about John the Baptist. Uh, The title of our session is John's Bumper Sticker. I'm sure we've all seen bumper stickers on the back of cars, and the idea is that you take uh, an idea or a message and you so condense it and boil it down that you can get one pithy saying, one quick sentence. If you were going to take the big idea of what John is trying to say and condense it so that way it could fit on a bumper sticker, what you would have is, well, it's what we read in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think that would make a great bumper sticker. So let's read chapter 3, 1 through 10, and as we do so, think about what this is saying about John's bumper sticker message of repentance and the nearness of the kingdom. Starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's central message concerns the need for people to repent. We then have this conjunction, the explanation why. Why should they repent? It is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's near. So let's take each one of these elements of this important saying, this important summary of John's message, and consider it more carefully. First, his call was to repentance. Uh, This means to change. Uh, It it starts with, uh, with a change of mind, but it is not just like saying, well, if you got an addition question wrong, then, and your teacher tells you that uh, the act, the answer is actually eight and not seven, that you repent. It's not simply changing your mind like that, but it's uh, changing your direction, uh, turning away from sin toward God. Notice other ways that it's described here in this passage. It is about preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, He talks in verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. The idea is that you are 
facing in a new direction and with the expectation that you're going to actually walk in that direction, that this will lead somewhere, that you will start bearing good fruit. One of the ways that Matthew will explain this is in the Sermon on the Mount. We will see in 4.17 that, uh, the way Matthew has put it, uh, Jesus's bumper sticker slogan happens to be the exact same as John. We read in Matthew 4.17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're then told how he goes around and he preaches, and then we're given an example of his preaching in that wonderful sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And those challenging ethical instructions are what it tangibly looks like to, well, repent. We could also compare this with Luke's gospel because he gives us a fuller account of John's message for Luke's perspective on what repentance looks like. Let's look at that briefly. Luke chapter 3 follows Matthew chapter 3 pretty closely. Let's pick it up in verse 9. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. And likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So Luke's perspective is helpful in that we're told what John the Baptist's message uh, actually looked like in practical examples. The message of repentance was to have very tangible, real Uh, concrete expressions. This is what, this is the sort of thing that John the Baptist was calling them to do. We can also notice that uh, the, the message to repent, to change in a certain direction, and the actual consequences of that repentance, that is to say, the fruits worthy of repentance, uh, really are not clearly separated. Uh, There's not a sharp line that one can draw between them. It's kind of blurry. Uh, The judgment that is warned of is that if people do not actually bear fruit, then uh, judgment will come. So there is no category in John's mind here of a person who has repented, but yet isn't bearing the fruits worthy of repentance. Now, the larger scope of the Gospel of Matthew will give us lots to think about, about people who are imperfect disciples. No one perfectly bears fruit as they ought to. Even some of the greatest Uh, disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, think of Peter, are full of failures and fears and shortcomings. So the kind of fruit that is envisioned here doesn't need to be a perfectly righteous life. But there is fruit that does come from repentance, and that is what John is calling the people to. Now, the reason there should be repentance is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew likes to use the expression, the kingdom of heaven, or literally the kingdom of the heavens. And when he does this, he's often just rephrasing what we find in Mark as the kingdom of God. I say that because some people have tried to draw some sort of a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, Uh, but that doesn't hold up once we start to compare Matthew's version and Mark's version. 
Now, if we want to know what the kingdom of heaven is, well, we've got a big task in front of us. Uh, That's a huge question. We can start out by noticing that there is not a big discussion of what this kingdom is. Instead, we've been told a lot about a king. We've been told a lot about the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promises as Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes and dreams. So the most likely and the most profitable place for us to turn when trying to figure out what the kingdom is is to go to the Old Testament. This is something that would have just been understood. Now, if you have a concordance like Strong's Concordance or uh, if you have a Bible program and you type in kingdom into the Old Testament, you're not going to get very many hits. And yet one of the translations around the time of the first century, uh, the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew, it's called the Targum, does use the language kingdom a lot. And it uses it in a lot of really significant uh, contexts. And one of the most important authors, uh, his name is Bruce Chilton, wrote on this extensively, uh, the use of kingdom language in the Targums. Let me just read to you a quote from him. He writes, quote, The Targum from Isaiah 24-23 paraphrases, The Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion as the kingdom of the Lord of hosts will be revealed on Mount Zion. Isaiah 31.4 says, The Lord of hosts will come down to fight upon Mount Zion. And the Aramaic paraphrases this as, The kingdom of the Lord of hosts will be revealed to settle upon Mount Zion. Isaiah 49 says, Here is your God. And the Targum says, The kingdom of your God is revealed. Isaiah 42.7 says, Your God reigns. And the Aramaic paraphrase says, The kingdom of your God is revealed. The Targum for Isaiah 53.10 says that they shall see the kingdom of their Messiah. Uh, This latter passage is well known as a salvation text. The suffering of God's servant is an offering for sin by which the servant's offspring will prosper and be made righteous. End quote. So I bring all of that up to say that this kingdom language was just kind of in the air in the first century to talk about the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes when God would make everything right, when he would turn back evil, when he would stop the reign of oppressive kings like uh, King Herod or the Roman Empire, and God himself would be king and rule over his people. It is the kingdom of heaven, not that it's a spiritual reign that's on the clouds or something, but it's the kingdom of heaven in that it comes down from heaven one day to land on planet earth. We could helpfully think of Daniel chapter 2. Remember that vision where he sees a giant stone uh, that is coming out of heaven and smashes the world powers that exist and then it grows and it fills the entire world. That sort of thing is the idea of the kingdom from heaven. Now, John tells his readers that this kingdom is at hand. And at hand is kind of an ambiguous expression. What does it really mean for something to be at hand? Now, if we were to go and to look into the Greek, and trace the way that that word is used in different contexts, we would be just as frustrated as if we were to think about the expression at hand, because it can mean both near and here. Uh, For example, sometimes uh, this Greek word is used uh, when Jesus comes near to Jerusalem, but he's not actually in the city. 
But it's also used, for example, when uh, in the parable of the wicked tenants, when the landowner knows that the time has come, it is here for his vineyard to produce its fruit. So sometimes it means near and sometimes it means here. And there's a wide variety of ways of understanding this message that the kingdom of heaven is, well, is it near or is it here? Well, spoiler alert, it means both. And we'll see that as we continue to study throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there's a way in which the kingdom of God has not yet arrived, and we are waiting for the return and the advent of the Lord Jesus to bring in all of these literal kingdom promises in their fullness. But yet, we'll also see in the Gospel of Matthew that there is a significant way in which the kingdom does arrive with the coming of the Lord Jesus. So this is John the Baptist's message. Uh, He believes that the kingdom of God was imminent. It was just around the corner. It was about to happen. And yet this could be a very bad thing. For those who were not ready for it, Judgment Day is a terrible reality. And the vivid picture that he uses is like the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. The woodsman doesn't say, my axe is in the shed somewhere. I'll be right back and go cut down this tree. He's not on his way to go get the axe. He's come back with the axe and it's, it's like he's swung and the axe is just about to cut that tree down. You've got like milliseconds, very little time to repent and get ready. It is of utmost importance that the people respond to John's message with genuine and real repentance. And they cannot say, well, we have Abraham as our father. Their their national heritage just simply would not cut it. There needed to be genuine repentance. And if there wasn't, well, judgment would come. He describes this as the judgment of fire. And that will be brought about by the coming one, which we will eventually find out is the Lord Jesus himself. You know, one of the things that is so incredible about John the Baptist is he cannot be bought. Uh, you cannot tame someone like John the Baptist because he serves God alone. He's kind of weird. He's an outlier. And people who call others to repentance are necessarily not going to, well, look like a used car salesman or something. They're not going to quite fit in with society because they're calling people to actually be different, to actually obey God. Uh, This message is still needed for us today. We need to hear the message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.